0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standig Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standik. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Hope everyone is doing okay. What a crazy couple days here in the DMV Uh with this, with this air quality, that's just not a good deal. Hope everyone's being as safe as can be. The Commanders were safe today. They held practice indoors. I should say they were safer. There's only so much you can do. Uh, whereas Wednesday, they were outside. Um, whether we're talking about these uh, Tuesday or Wednesday or the OTAs or kind of everything that's happened in the offseason program, nobody better to break down what we've seen Then our guest today, former tight end Logan Paulson. Of course, Logan does a lot of great work on the Commander's website, co-host of the Take Command podcast, and of course is uh, often putting up videos of uh, his insights on his Instagram page, Logan underscore Paulson82. So a really fun deep dive today. We talked before today's practice, uh, but we got into how the secondary it's become really competitive. Which jobs are in play? I think the nickel slot position is going to be a pretty fascinating one. Uh, so we, we talked about that. I got his view of Chase Young and what what he has seen, but also what does he need to see moving forward? Certainly we talked about Sam Howell. We talked about Eric bien offense. And I asked Logan for some players that have stood out, position battles to watch as we move forward. A very detailed and fun conversation, we'll, I'll get to that in a moment here on the podcast. Of course, make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. And of course, subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, I've had a, a few stories out this week, Look, Chase Young's return, Eric bien uh going with more of the screen game, it looks like, based on practice. But why that is, it's not just about that one play. It's about an offensive philosophy that he is bringing to Washington. And I'll have a story up for Friday on Sam Howell's practice today being an example of the patience you need with a young quarterback and why the coaches are also high on Sam Howell. Uh, So... Go check out The Athletic for that, and of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing. Um, before we get to Logan, just a couple of quick uh, notes. First off, uh, apologies for not having a podcast up during this. I, I intended to do that earlier in the week, but honestly, the air quality situation just kind of threw me for a bit of a loop, so I didn't get that done and uh, you know had, had something fall through, but... When I knew I had Logan penciled in for Thursday, I figured that would be a really great way to sort of touch on everything. So uh, appreciate your patience on that. Um, there will, in fact, even though mandatory minicamp ended today, there will, in fact, be one more practice before these guys go away for the summer. That will be on Tuesday. It'll be a final OTA. Uh, of course, they had a couple of uh, OTA uh, sessions. Wiped out because the league penalized them last year for excessive hitting in practice. Uh, so there will be one on Tuesday, Rivera told us today. They will be having it. You know, um, today's practice was inside the bubble. It was more of a limited practice, to be honest. Uh, it, it ended about a half an hour short. There's only so much room they have there. They don't have two fields. They only have the one field. It really, when they're out on uh out on the outside, there's actually it's more than two fields. The special teamers and anybody who's been who's injured can go on one field. The defense is on another field. The offense is on another field. And then even when they get together for 11s or 7s, you know, other players can be you know work out elsewhere w- w- if needed. So there's just not a lot of space. Uh, they kept out some of the vets today to to sort of account for that because they knew they were going to have more limited reps. Um, I don't really think there's a ton for me to tell you about today other than to note, and this is kind of what I wrote about, so I'll sort of say, go. But it had to do with Sam Howell, and there was a sequence in a seven-on-seven uh, seven red zone drill where Howell through interceptions on back-to-back plays. One, uh, I don't know if it was a miscommunication between Howell and Marcus Kemp, but the pass was more to Percy Butler, it seemed, than it was to the receiver. Uh, good on Butler. He's had a couple interceptions at camp. And the other one was a throw towards the back of the end zone to John Dodson. And Troy Apke, yes, Troy Apke's still here. He jumped up and made a play on a ball that was a bit underthrown. Uh, but but Hal, and obviously, you know, it's like that's notable, back-to-back interceptions. But it's the way that Hal responded after that that I think kind of stood out. Again, it was limited work, but that's kind of what was the sto- focus of my story today. Uh, Logan uh, Logan and I talk about how a bit, so I won't step on that too much. Um, Rivera today did reiterate, though, that Sam Howell is, has shown them enough in camp to m- make it clear. He's still in the lead for QB1 going into... Training camp. Now, I will say, and I've been saying this for a while, I still think there is a world where Jacoby Brissett is the week one starter. He's not going to be able to take the job. Sam Howe will have to lose it. I've mentioned before, you know, what level of urgency does Ron Rivera or Eric Bieniemy perhaps feel when they get deeper into the summer? And if the Josh Harris ownership group is now in charge, uh, you know, this is a, you know, they may need to get off to a quick start. Let alone having a winning season, and will they feel comfortable with Sam Howell if he's not progressing enough to their liking? Knowing Jacoby Brissett is a totally competent NFL quarterback, and I would just say that I, the way I see it, the gap between Howell and Brissett is much less than people think. But again, as long as Howell doesn't give it away, he will be the starter when the season opens uh, so we'll see how that unfolds over time I, you know training camp is really where so many of the interesting decisions and battles will really come into play this OTA and mini camp period has really been about teaching fundamentals getting back to the basics installing the b enemy offense uh, and so on so we'll get a lot more insight once we get down the line in uh, in, into training camp and even, you know, got to get past the first few days of training camp and then things should get interesting. Um, you know, knock on wood, other than the Armani Rogers unfortunate injury, they, they've largely seemed to have come out of uh, all of this a bit unscathed. Um, <clears throat> Curtis Samuel seemed to have a couple of, you know, <clears throat> Curtis Samuel is a, is a, is a Jaguar kind of a car. Which means it's really fun and also goes in the shop a bit. Um, nothing, nothing notable or serious. But like, you know, it seems like he's a guy that maybe you know had a couple of tweaks or bumps here, uh, but nothing of of significance. It doesn't it doesn't appear. Uh, I think Emmanuel Forbes and Quan Martin has ha- have had really strong camps. Again, Logan and I will get into that. Um, you know, it's funny that actually leads me to a, another point I'll make here. Obviously, Forbes and Martin were the first two picks. The third pick was Ricky Stromberg, and the fourth pick was Braden Daniels. And to say that they have not been discussed in camp, I think, would be an understatement. I don't know. Maybe we've probably asked at some point about them, meaning the media to to Rivera, but not a lot. And, you know, one thing that's been so confusing with regards to the Sam Howell situation is how does Washington look to a guy with one career start as a potential if not likely starting quarterback knowing the importance of this season in terms of their own professional futures. But at least with Sam Howell, like I understand the upside and his, the cheaper contract allows you to do some other things. The third and fourth round pick are guys that should be playing for you. I'm not saying they have to be great starters or anything. Now, of course, the, in in recent years, I mean, Terry McLaurin, 2019 third-round pick, Antonio Gibson, Brian Robinson, you know, th- there have been some players like that. And I, I almost don't like bring up individual names because you can point to guys that have not worked out either. But my thing always is kind of like, if if you're picking early and there's not like an obvious path for somebody to play, then the justification needs to be, this is the answer for the future. And maybe that's how they see it. Maybe they think that Stromberg and Daniels could be starters for them next year. The problem is they signed Nick Gates to a three-year deal and they have high hopes for him. So you would think logically he would still be the center next year. And with Braden Daniels, you know, not everybody's convinced he's a tackle. So if you're talking about him as a guard, they, you know, he's not been mentioned at all in the battle this year with, Sadiq Charles and Chris Paul at the left guard spot. So, I don't know if it, it is fitting in there. I, I guess my thing is, it's one thing to take somebody for the future, but two players to take it for a future like that, you know, it, I I just feels like that is a much more of a questionable call as it stands right now. Obviously, if somebody gets hurt, yes, it's nice to have some somebody you think is talented play there. Of course, I understand that. But... Um, yeah, you know, could you have drafted um, a linebacker, perhaps? Uh, you know, I mean, Cody Barton's deal is only one year. Could you have drafted a linebacker that perhaps fits in behind him or gives you some depth behind Jamin Davis and Cody Barton? Um, could you have maybe just flat out drafted a guard? I mean, Stromberg in theory can play guard, and you know, Daniels meets the position flex requirement, but he's not, you know he's not a tackle, and I don't know, you know. He's that tweener type, and uh, you know I I talked about this with Logan Paulson a couple weeks ago. Position flexibility to me is a bit overrated. You got to get some guys who can do some things at some point. Um, Heck, maybe you could even have drafted another quarterback if you wanted to, just to have more depth competition. Whatever. I'm I'm not. I I, Stromberg and Daniels may turn out to be really good players. I'm just saying that in terms of if we're talking about OTA and minicamp here, they were seemingly non-factors to the outside the coaches may think they crushed it. I don't know at this point, but I, I would just say that they are deep on the depth chart right now. Uh, and again, that's not a knock on what they are doing. It's just to say for a third and fourth round pick, they were really kind of afterthoughts um, to this point. Um I will t- say there was a couple guys that stood out as sleepers. Logan and I get into that. I think you will enjoy hearing that part of the conversation. Um, other than that, I'm gonna stop talking. My throat is not still feeling so great after the last couple of days uh, outside, but you know, could be worse. So, not gonna complain. But I am gonna get to a really fun conversation. I thoroughly enjoy every time Logan comes on. It's a it's a lot of fun for me to talk with somebody who really uh, understands what he is looking at and has a good feel for this team. So, let's do that right now. Here is my conversation with Logan Paulson on the Standing Room Only podcast. All right, as we uh put a bow on Mini Camp who better to break down what he has seen not just this week but throughout the offseason, than our pal and noted uh Commanders analyst for the team website. He does the Take Command podcast and of course, he played he played in the game. I don't know if he ever played I had to deal with uh, breathing in air like we're dealing with now, but of course I'm talking about Logan Paulson. Uh, you're 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 a health guy, you're a fitness guy, you're an athlete. You ever had to deal with something like this? I mean, you have to deal with like 100 degree days or 20 degree days, but what what about
2: this? Stuff? Yeah, I mean, I grew up I grew up in L.A., so you know every we'd have seasonal fires, and so this is like um, this is nothing compared to some of the stuff I saw when I was in uh, I think my sophomore year of high school. We had a fire so close that the sky was completely black and it was raining or snowing ash. So we actually practiced in that, and it felt kind of like very apocalyptic at the time. And then the next day, our coach was like, I think we should probably go inside. And everyone was like, yeah, that's probably a good move. So we went and had our uh, football practice in the gym uh, the next day. So, I mean, obviously you have to like we all kind
1: of know that it's not great and but now we have these you know metrics that tell us you know air quality and like just not that long ago you weren't in high school you know you're a young guy still it's not without like yeah
2: it's fine go outside yeah go outside you'll be all right it's like you know you're right near a big campfire that's kind of was the thought process and uh obviously things have changed a little bit since then well look i'm amazed
1: when it's like 100 degrees or 20 degrees how people you know, sixty years ago, a hundred years ago, hundred fifty years ago, dealt with that stuff. Let alone, yeah, yes, I, I, I would be. I would, let's just say I would not have made it in a world without air conditioning. Let's, let's <laughs> leave it
2: at <with> that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, mean you know, uh, we're not we're not built the same, not of the same cut. You know what I mean? As some of those older generations.
1: Yeah, the greatest generation. I'll concede if they're based on uh, dealing with, with certain uh, with certain variables. Um, all right. Well, look, we're, we're talking about certain variables here with the Washington Commanders. And, of course, I want to get your view on, you know, Sam Howe and, and other points here. But I guess just broadly, uh, we're talking Thursday morning. So they're going to have one last practice today. They're going to be in the bubble. Um, but, you know, we've seen a lot here so far. Just broadly, I guess, how do you feel right now about where this team is versus just say a year ago? when we had a different offensive coordinator, a different quarterback, and just, you know, a different vibe coming off uh, 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 that
2: year. You know, I was a little uncertain coming into the OTA mini camp period, but obviously, like, I think, you know, my, I'm optimistic now. I mean, I'm not saying that they're, you know, the best team of all time, but I'm optimistic about the direction they're going. And what I mean by that is I look at, Sam Howell and what he's been able to do over the last nine practices. Again, that's a very small sample size. So everyone just take a deep breath, but you know, three, don't, really do it. don't take a deep breath outside, but go ahead. Yeah. Don't take it in the, in, in the, in the air purified uh, <laughs> air of your home. Um, but, and then he had kind of a rough kind of second week, probably two practices in there that could have been a little bit better that he would have wanted back. And then I think he's come out through the uh, mini camp period and done a nice job and so i think eb's doing a good job of speaking to his skill set and that gets me excited the offense is a little bit more nuanced and complex and i think uh it's leaning more on kind of the short intermediate passing game kind of the three five step drops it does have some shot plays in there but i feel like that shorter stuff has really spoke to to sam's skill set kind of surprisingly to me and um i looked they look pretty sharp and then you get to the defense and obviously Uh, You know, Chase and Montez are here for the first time this week, but um, Chase looked really good over the first two days, looked explosive, looked twitched up, looked focused, which is good. And I think the secondary, the young secondary looks awesome. I mean, they've done a really, really nice job, you know, Quan Martin in the slot, kind of showing why he's the second, you know, your second round pick. Forbes on the outside's done a great job. The two young safeties, Forrest and Percy, matching concepts and communicating at a very high level. Benjamin Saint Juice and Kendall Fuller. I mean that that group has just been excellent. You know, with that first team group and some of Sam's struggles, I think you know on those two days, kind of in the in the middle week of practice, and when he does throw interceptions or when he forces the balls into the tight windows, are because that group is doing such a nice job. So. um I'm 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 encouraged. Obviously, like they're not in pads. There's still a long way to go. They haven't run the football yet. One of my biggest questions is still kind of in limbo, and that's the offensive line. But with the stuff they've been asked to do, they've done a good job. So we'll see. But um I think this has been a very positive period uh for the team.
1: Um, you know, you mentioned the secondary. Let me let me sort of start there. Again, all the caveats of what we're watching here. It's not full throated practice by any stretch of the imagination and there's no running game. So the, 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 the secondary doesn't really have to worry Correct, about play yeah. action or anything. Um, that said, like I was paying attention yesterday with Emmanuel Forbes and obviously I've been watching him a lot throughout for all the obvious reasons. And yesterday, a few times he's like Terry McLaurin's lined up on him. and We're like, okay, here we goes. It's it can be a fun rep. And then the ball doesn't ever go that way. Like it almost already sure. seems like they're, I, I don't know if this is conscious, but like, it almost seems like they're saying, don't throw it towards him. I don't know if that's, maybe I'm overstating it, but he really, every time I watch him, he really seems to be positioned right there on the receiver's hip, running stride for stride. He seems to be constantly there, which is, of course, the whole point of why you go to get a guy like that in the first place, how he gets the interceptions. Am I overstating kind of what I've
2: seen so far? Um, maybe slightly. I think I think he's done excellent. He's had an excellent you You're know, saying he's Alex not Gabriel there all green yet? yet? <laughs> yeah, he's not quite that yet, but I, I think... You know, some of the times the quarterback's not looking his way is, I think, partially because the concept or the majority of the concept, the concept that he's supposed to be reading is away from Forbes, and that does happen. You know, you look at um, practice five and six, he looked like he was going to be Daryl Green. You know, he had two PBUs against some of the best receivers in the NFL. Great job communicating at a very, very high level. He looked awesome. And then first practice um, of minicamp, obviously, uh Kemp kind of kind of big big bodies him on a little stop route, makes a catch. Terry runs by him on the first play of Team Blitz. Um, so he's still learning and growing. But I think on the whole, I think you feel very positive about what he's been doing and his production and just the consistency that he's playing with. Like I said, like he has been a very bright spot for this group, but I still think he's got he's gotta grow, gotta mature a little bit. And I think, you know, in terms of him getting targeted, I don't think that's necessarily something that they're emphasizing right now maybe when they get into camp and they're game planning a little bit more and they're kind of emphasizing certain concepts more perhaps. But as of right now, I think, um, I think that's just a little bit uh, statistical variance and, um, but he has done a very nice job.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously I'm saying it's somewhat tongue in cheek and I think I I did write, I did write yesterday, uh, something about the offense I'll get to, but I mentioned that the defense had some good plays including or good wins, including Forbes not seeming to be tested a ton. Um, One thing that's, Again, it's early, but one thing that seems to be maybe more apparent than I would have thought two, a week or two ago is that Forbes on the outside, which seemed to be the logical move, but the question was, would what, what that mean St. Hughes would be on the inside, obviously? And it does seem like we're heading in that direction without it being too much of a question anymore. St. Just even said yesterday that he feels as comfortable on the inside as he does on the outside and almost, almost seemed to be, I don't want to say resigned, but seemed to understand that's probably where he's going uh, to go. Um What do you, I guess, think ultimately if that's the setup when they're going three corners with those three guys? How do you think? How do you like that? Uh, Certainly, compared to having William Jackson last year making one, you know, one sort of mistake after another, this should be better. But what's your view of, of of how that trio can look?
2: Yeah, I man, I think they're they're very talented. You know, I'm, I guess I'm a little surprised that you know Fuller seems to be the guy that's in like an impeach that's in an impeachable situation. He's kind of locked in there in that outside spot. I thought he'd be a guy that maybe move around, especially given Benjamin St. Joe's production at the outside corner spot. But I do think when you look at those guys in the field, if that's how you get your best three guys in the field, great. And I think he's done. Uh, St. Juice is a nice job in the slot. You know, his length, his speed, his quickness. He, he's, he's playing with a little bit more toughness. Obviously, they're not running the football a ton, but I, I like I like his confidence that he's playing with. And obviously, he talked about how highly I think of Forbes. Fuller's actually had a very nice camp. You see kind of his savvy and his experience and his understanding of route concepts and, and how to match receivers. So, I mean, I think compared to last year during this time period, I feel very, very good. Cause last year we were kind of talking about how, you know, William Jackson, this third was, you know, having a really hard time covering Jahan Dotson. And basically like, you know, that was kind of a mismatch in favor of the offense every single time they lined up. And now I don't feel like there's that same disparity in terms of, you know, the offensive skill players are that much better than the defensive secondary. I think it's, it matches up really nicely. And, and it's been a very competitive battle to watch. And, um, I think that's kind of what you want. You know, you don't want one side kind of really overbearing the other. So, I think um I think that's fine. I think as long as your best three corners are on the field, however you get there, I think that needs to happen and, and is Benjamin St. Juice maybe a little bit out of position, sure, but I think he does a great job as the nickel and I think he did a great job as the nickel um when he did that last year. So, um I'm fine with it, yeah.
1: So, I think what's going to be sort of the more interesting battle to watch when we get to training camp is the nickel position Sure, because you have two two different situations. You have Benjamin St. Juice, like you said, maybe playing a little out of out of position, but showed he could do it a little bit last year. He's obviously got that excellent size that you can use to match up against tight ends. But then you've got Quan Martin, who they specifically drafted. They used a high pick to take him to effectively play that spot. And so it's going to be interesting to see how often they obviously match up. It'll be somewhat matchup dependent, I would think, but yeah. how often they go one versus the other. And then if it is somewhat, more st juice what does Quan martin do does he bust through the cam curl Derek forest scenario at some point and play more over equal to or, or one of them I, I i'm not saying we have the answer for that now but i do wonder like because i think he martin's been pretty interesting as well he's been around the ball had some good deflections um how does that work i think to me that's gonna be really fun to see what you know what they want to do there
2: Absolutely. And I'm really glad you brought that up because Quan's done an excellent job, especially over the last probably five, five, six practices, done a really nice job. He matches up well from a physical physicality standpoint with tight ends. He can cover, you know, he had a rep against Jahan in the slot the other day. And it's just to have that versatility of a skill set is, is pretty impressive. I think he's a little bit more like twitched up kind of an explosive um, hitter. Then I think Benjamin St. Juice would be. I think he's got kind of like he, you know, that forty-four inch vertical at the combine. I think it was a record-setting vertical jump. Obviously, his explosive measurements, excuse me, are off the charts. But um, I think it'll be very much situational dependent. I think you want Benjamin St. Juice matching up against receivers and kind of passing situations. I think Quan gives you a little bit more of that four-wheel drive ability to kind of kind of match all different terrains i can fit runs i can cover tight ends i can cover a receiver in a pinch and so i think i think you're right with kind of your the the second half of that analysis is that i think it's not so much him and st juice while there will be some rep sharing there i think it's him and cam curl and forest uh, you know who ends up kind of finalizing i guess that buffalo nickel role and i think the player that maybe gets the most affected by it is the linebackers you know because i think he'll end up be playing a little bit more linebacker than um and people think kind of, you know, not true linebacker, but kind of that safety in the, in the linebacker position. So um that's something I think to keep an eye on as training camp rounds out is like how they start. What's his utilization? Because right now Cam's not practicing. So, you know, Percy and Forrest have been kind of definitively the starting safeties. They've done a great job out there. But obviously Cam's that guy and we know he's that guy. So when he comes back into the mix, how does it affect these other three or four players. And and when the dust settles, like who's on the roster and, uh, or who, no, like what are people's roles within the roster? I should say.
1: Um, speaking of that, you mentioned cam curl. You are a scout, not a front office guy, although I don't know what your hopes and dreams are. Maybe, maybe you <laughs> want to go there one day, but I was kind of thinking about this the other day, obviously. So cam curls here. He's going through all the position drills, but he's sitting out when they get to seven on seven and 11 on 11, similar to Duran Payne last year, protecting himself from injury um, at this stage. Uh ahead because he's in a contract situation okay they drafted Federian mathis last year right as a as a mm-hmm. clearly a hedge in case deron Payne was gone but that didn't really seem to affect what was going to happen last year in terms of the play and it didn't and obviously mathis got hurt unfortunately they draft martin in the second round Derek forrest really emerged last year you mentioned percy butler we'll see how he develops this year and you know jeremy reeves is there for additional depth is there, a, is there a world where like they see enough, where they're like, you know what, Cam Curl, like, we really like you, and you're a heck of a player. But we kind of got some other options. We don't need to give you this bigger deal. And then maybe in the shorter even term, maybe we don't even play you as much as we did. Now, maybe not what I'm saying is insane. Maybe he is just so much better than them, and he's shown a lot. He's obviously worthy. There's a reason why they should be probably – giving him an extension but is it but but they do have some other options there what 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 do you think about that whole thing and how
2: they might view it both
1: near and long term
2: i think it's a great question i think it's a great point i think um you're always when you're building a roster when you're constructing a roster you're always trying to insulate yourself a year ahead right so um you know one of the reasons they they, they've purported to purportedly have drafted kwan is to say we want to take some of the load some of that box play off of off of uh, cam. And so, but also I think it's, you could also say, well, if cam leaves, we have a guy who can do what cam does at a really high level and, and has the traits and features that we like in the position. And so I don't think that that, that's an insane thing. And there's a precedent, like you mentioned with Fedarian, of kind of being a year ahead and it allows you some flexibility in terms of roster construction. So I don't think that's crazy. I think they really like cam. I think they want cam here, but if, if for whatever reason, the negotiation or the, the conversation goes sideways and it doesn't work out, like you have to be prepared for that. I think they've done that. So um, I think they want Cam back. I think he will be back. But I do think, to your point, they've got some very, very nice pieces that can fill out roles on the roster and um, fill out roles that Cam has traditionally done for them. So um, yeah, long story short, Cam will be back. I'm pretty confident in saying that. Um, but, you know, crazy things have happened. And I think the roster is built in a way that they feel um, that insulates them, which is, which is good. So
1: yeah. I mean, like I guess I assume they're going to get him the extension, but I was, you know, they've invested. You never decent, know. You never know. Right. right. They've invested. You know, when, when you take Quan Martin in that spot. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, of course, yeah. that, the hype. I'll, I'll move off of this, but hypothetically, if you will look at it in this way, Quan Martin could be there for them to move off of Kendall Fuller after the year, put St. G's back outside and now you have your group, but that's a whole other conversation I won't, I won't
2: it's good it's good to have it's good to have good football players on the roster because it does give you some of this flexibility for sure
1: absolutely um let me uh, one more thing on the defense chase young back this weekend now yep. obviously so is montez sweat i don't think we're as concerned about how montez sweat looks because montez sweat has been a pretty good player uh for yeah. for for when he's been healthy here for for his three years and even yesterday he had uh, a couple of really dynamic plays had the had the padded not you know Spike the ball from a pass from Sam Howell down, and uh, got him some fun trash talking that as only he can do around here. But Chase Young, obviously, a lot more questions. Hats the health of the knee. Has he shown any new moves out there as a pass rusher? His discipline, whatever you want to say. What's your early view of how he of how he looks?
2: I mean, obviously, you know they're doing like you know a little bit more teamwork than they were doing the week before, but there's no run fits. It's all pass. A little bit of screen work, you know, the, the big play to um, Antonio Gibson yesterday on the screen was maybe related to how Chase played that, you know, kind of a little in between that happens at this time of year. I will say he had some very, very nice rushes. He's just a big, powerful man. And to see kind of shades of that elite power, that elite kind of, you know, explosion coming back, I think is really uh, good. You know, we had a really nice rush on, uh, on Leno on the edge. Leno tried to jump set him kind of um, attacked Chase's inside pad, Chase did a great job getting some length, and then kind of doing a little push-pull and ripping through, and and probably would have got a sack. He did the same thing to Cornelius, and Cornelius has been pretty sharp this OTA period, OTA minicamp period. So I think, you know, while people are working at different tempos, like you compare that to Montez, who I think is, is, is practicing in a diligent, professional way. He's not um kind of attacking it with that same gusto you know he's he's kind of i don't it's not walking through cuz he's moving fast he's moving he's moving like a pro it's a it's a reasonable tempo for him to be working at he's not kind of trying to win each rep the same way chase seems to be doing right. and um and again like that i i take that as a good sign that chase cuz this has not been something chase has done during this period so i think that that's good i think it's good to see a guy who's um who's motivated um trying hard and, um, appears physically to be back to the guy that we thought he he was when he was drafted second overall. So, uh, I think all good stuff. It's been two days, you know, I'm, I'm longitudinal in my analysis, right? Yeah. We'll see what this looks like, um, during training camp, during that Baltimore practice, um, going up against some different guys, but I think it's a good start. Well, to that end, and you're right
1: obviously it's down the line. So when we get to training camp, when we get to those Ravens practices, what's the thing for you that you want to see with Chase that will signify he's gone up another level? He's always going to have that relentless energy out there in the sense of like he, he's fired up and he's got, you know, this athleticism and, you know, he he plays with that energy, but it does, sometimes it's undisciplined. And sometimes he doesn't have yeah. the moves to get, you know, it's not just enough to just run a hundred miles an hour towards the, the the tackle you have to you know how are you see what you have a spin move so what do you need to see from him to suggest that he has taken his game up another level with regards to technique and pass rushing
2: I think just like you were talking about just like what what is your plan for the rush and how disciplined are you with the rush like something that I always look at with good pass rushers like I coach a couple of pass rushers in the NFL and one of the things we're always talking about is like what is your rush line and what is your plan if he sets you in a certain way and how and do you know how he's gonna set you? And some of the um inconsistencies with Chase, I kind of was like he just doesn't have a plan. He hasn't watched this guy enough to kind of understand how he want how he set guys who rush similar to Chase. And so I think that like seeing kind of a more consistent rush path, um, a more consistent move at the top, kind of something that speaks to his skill set, I think would be good. Um, Obviously in the three rushes that he's done, he seems to have improved in that area, but again, longitudinally like where is he at? So those, those are things I'll be keeping an eye on, like in that Baltimore practice, like what's your, what's your rush line look like? What's your plan at the top? know how he's gonna set you, know what he likes to do, the, the, the tackle I'm talking about. And like there's a maturity. Like when you watch elite pass rushers, the Bosa's, the uh, Miles Garrett's, um, you know, even Michael Parsons to a certain extent, like there is a the TJ Watt, there's a distinct vision for their anticipation of what the tackle is going to do to set them and then their plan to defeat that and chase for whatever reason has not cultivated that i think you know there's there's a million reasons for that like the injury obviously being one um you know kind of being so successful so early in his career lack of veterans in the room all those things probably contribute to that but i do think that's something that i'm going to be watching closely to see if he's he's matured in that way and and um and then Again, one of the big features of this defensive line is how they rush together. Montez does an excellent job of, of feeling the three technique, rushing off the three technique, and, and kind of having a symbiotic relationship with that defensive tackle to his side. And uh, Chase has not done that since he's been here, right? And again, that's a little bit new and novel to this team. Uh, can he adjust to that? So those, those are the kind of things I'll be keeping an eye on with him as we move forward um, through the offseason.
1: All right. Uh, I'll ask you this. We'll wrap up the defense of this, and I'm going to ask you the same question later for the offense. Give me a player that you've seen out here so far that's imp- surprised you, impressed you, you're curious, whatever it is, and then what's a roster battle that you're going to really be watching, a roster or position battle that you're really going to be watching uh, when we get later in the summer?
2: Well, for me, it's Cleek Hudson, like 100%. Like there's, uh, in terms of guys who have just flashed consistently day in and day out, He's been that guy. Uh, First day of minicamp, has a pick, has a beautiful pass rush on um, Antonio Gibson, kind of makes him look silly with a great kind of gigantic Euro step that, uh, you know, you kind of see his athleticism, his twitch. Yesterday, he sniffs out a screen that, you know, would have been a big play if he hadn't sniffed it out. He just has been flashing a little bit more. And again, like right now, it's just passes. It's just pass rush, things that speak to his skill set really well but if he can continue like this man he's he's going to be a great depth piece you know that's going to be pushing people for for minutes on sunday so i think he's had a great um ota and minicamp period um can he continue that is the big question because we've seen flashes of him being very very good um but it's the consistency with him that that's been somewhat lacking so he's been a guy that's that's really stuck out to me and then in terms of battle i think we've kind of already alluded to the main one in my opinion and that's the secondary like how does that shake out in my opinion uh or, or you know during training camp I, I have no idea there's just a lot of very very physically gifted talented guys back there that are good football players and um what are the roles going to be for, for that for that back end group um given the additions of Quan martin given the play of forrest given the play of percy over the uh over again over this ota period um so again th- that's something that i'm really really excited to watch
1: and, and i will just mention that when we asked jack Rio the other day about jamon davis um, You know, being out, but he mentioned that like Khalid Hudson has been playing well and I'm not saying he suggested that there will be a competition for the starting job. But he did kind of say
2: like, hey, we're feeling pretty good right now with what Khalid's showing. I mean, we want he's, him. In he's back, looked but... great, like look very, very like I, I, he's every every day. You know, there's certain guys that flash and he's just been a guy that's consistently flashed. And um, that's good. If you're him, that's really, really good. And I can see why Jack would say something like that. All right, let me switch
1: over to uh, the offense. Um, I think, obviously, a huge question has been, what is an Eric Enemy offense going to look like? (laughs) Um, I wrote a little bit about this today on The Athletic, not, uh, you know, just from the standpoint yesterday that they were running a lot of screen passes, it felt like. And watching it, obviously, screen pass is not exactly, you know, 21st century offense. But for this place, it's been something that's been very underutilized. And then you go look at some of the numbers, the Chiefs were third in the most, att- most screen pass attempts last year, and Washington was way down near, near the bottom of the list, and the production kind of went that way. I, let me let me rephrase that. Screen passes to running backs specifically. Sure. They both ran the same amount of screen passes to receivers and tight ends, but Kansas City was way more effective. Um, That's just one thing that stood out, and uh, St. juice yesterday was saying that what he's seeing is that there, there's a lot more explosive plays, which sounds fun, sounds ideal, but also sounds like a catch-all to whatever, I don't know, uh, throwing a ball deep, whatever it is. But you tell me, I mean, between the screen passes or anything else you're seeing, or w- have you figured out
2: what an Eric B enemy
1: offense is going to look like?
2: I mean, it's, to me, I think the biggest difference from, because, you know, a lot of the deep concepts, a lot of the shot plays are, Similar, you know, similar in terms of, of high-level theory with regards to football and how you're attacking certain coverages. I think the thing that's really, again, been different so far, and again, there's no running game, there's no RPOs, which I think will be a big ad when, once they start doing that kind of stuff during training camp. I think the big ad to me has been the three-step drops, the five-step drops, and the intermediate passing game and just how they, they give the quarterback clear options right now. And that's something that I was um, very critical of Scott's stuff last year was that there was, you know, the, the conceptually it was there. But if the main concept wasn't there, where's the ball got to go? And I feel like here there's, you know, easy, easy reads. We're reading a zone of the field like, you know, just a very simple one is like you've got a a, a deep uh, in cut at um, 12 yards and you've got a five yard sit you're reading the linebacker. If the linebacker attaches, you're throwing the dig. If if not, you're throwing the sit. And if they match the concept perfectly, you have a flat or some type of sit, some type of flare control to the side. And you can see the quarterbacks working through that. And I think Sam has done a really nice job with that. So to me, like just giving, taking some of that leverage off the quarterback, saying, hey, man, we need you to make these like 20-yard in-cut throws on timing, 10 times a game, now we've got kind of some easier West Coast offenses, offense principles that are stretching the defense horizontally, attacking zones of the field. I think that, to me, is has been the biggest difference, and Sam's excelled with that. And you mentioned the screen game. Um, obviously, that's been a big point of emphasis throughout, um, throughout this offseason period, and they've done a really nice job of just detailing that up um you know on the first day of mini camp i think brian robinson had a had a screen pass that probably would have gone for about 40 yards obviously antonio gibson had one yesterday and the just the detail the timing the understanding by the offensive linemen of how to execute this stuff is much much better so you know the, the ab has been quoted as saying like this is an extension of our run game they're not running the football out right now but they're getting a lot of screens called and i think um I think you're seeing the benefit of that, and I get excited because I want Antonio Gibson to get touches in the screen game. I want Antonio Gibson to find ways to get that done. Also, seeking matchups, I think has been another thing that's been really compelling. Um, you know, everyone talks about this choice route, this five-yard choice route, finding athletes to get that done for you. Jahan's run it, uh, Gibson's run it, um, Cole Turner's run it. You know, they've had multitudes of guys kind of attacking that, and I think that's interesting. Is is you have all these offensive weapons. Who does what for you at a high level, and how best do we speak to their skill set? So, if I'm going to kind of give you the bullet points, it's that intermediate passing game, the screen game, and then maximizing your playmakers. And I think those are things that um, that get me excited from an offensive perspective because I think that's good offensive process.
1: Um, you know, when Antonio Gibson they drafted him, and obviously, right off the bat, it's like, whoa, this is a really intriguing player. And then you saw some of the clips in Memphis, you're like, oh my god, look at this guy in space, all this stuff. And I did a profile on him. One of the stories I'll say I was most proud of uh, at the athletic was this piece about what is he? And I asked all kinds of people, his high school coach, his college offensive coordinator, his college coach, Greg Cosell, uh, people here. Wh- what is he? And it was, the answers were all over the place, you know, a slot receiver, a running back, a, a passing down back, whatever. And I guess the one I've been sort of, Dis- not I'm just disappointed but like that they turned him into the thing I didn't think he was which was this between the tackle guy that they were like trying to especially the first years trying him to to be that guy to, to you know to do what they kind of wanted to do on offense but sort of shoving him into this role when he clearly seemed to me to be a guy you want to get out more in space they obviously drafted Brian Robinson last year I think to address some of this and so to your point I'm am he's probably the one player especially now that unfortunately Armani Rogers is out, the one player I'm really intrigued to see what he does in this offense. Sure. Because it does feel like I'm just picturing Gibson on if he was on the Chiefs and obviously that's a whole other deal. I'm just thinking, wow, imagine how they would have used him in ways that I yeah. don't think they did here. So I really, that, that is the guy for me. That I'm like, Ooh, I can't wait to see what, what they do here.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you know, again, like I think he's he's not quite a running back, he's not quite a receiver, but he is a guy who's explosive and he's big and he's and uh can make plays with the football in his hand. So um I think just even even that's something else, you know. Like when we were talking about kind of these like intermediate passing game that I just referenced, like the backs are a big part of that because they're always getting out, they're always in the flats, and you can make big plays the guys in the flats or guys on checkdowns because of the concept and where the football needs to go. So um, I'm I'm really excited for him. I think this is finally going to be, um, you know, maybe his coming out party as a pass catcher. You know, if he can catch 50 passes, 40 passes in a year, like that would be fantastic for him and for this offense. And I think that's entirely possible. Um, but yeah, I, still a long way to go. Still early offseason. But yeah, very excited about what he brings and and his potential in that role for sure.
1: And I think Brian Robinson to me showed he had pretty decent hands last year. I thought they just obviously didn't utilize him in that way. But, uh, you know, look, I think one thing when you want to try to keep a defense off balance, you don't want to bring in the running back that becomes obvious you're going to run the ball and you don't. You know, and vice versa. You don't want to bring in the guy it's obvious you're going to pass the ball. So if you can get these guys doing all of it, you know, give you, they'll just giving them different looks, I think that would be huge. And plus, like even having – I don't know if they will do this a lot, but having Robinson and Gibson together – This was also the thing about Gibson. I just feel like they never really seemed to come up on it. was always, we'll have Gibson and we'll put him in the backfield. If the defense has a big front, we'll um, put him in motion and have him line up against somebody. Or if it's a light box, we'll go the other way. And it doesn't, maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't feel like they've utilized that trickery kind of uh, enough. And with Gibson in particular, you can do that. And I guess obviously they're hoping Chris Rodriguez. And give them some of that element as well. I mean, I think Jonathan Williams, every time I watch that guy for the last two years, I'm like, damn, this guy is a good player. Uh, he's faster than yeah. people think. I don't know how he's making the roster right now, but we'll see. Um, so, yeah, I think to that end, like that to me is part of like, I, I'm more intrigued almost again with the sort of the backfield than I am like the receivers. Because I think we see the how that's going to go with McLaurin and Samuel Dodson. But the, if they can utilize the backfield, that really to me would seem like it would take it up a notch.
2: Yeah. And you mentioned like the word trickery. I don't even think it's trickery. I think it's just good offensive process, like getting different personnel groups in there to kind of, you know, mess with convention. Like the other day, for example, uh, EB trots four tight ends out there, four tight ends, one running back, and has them in like a total spread formation. And so, I don't know, when you've got four tight ends, like they do here, and they've got a back like they do here, like that is a legitimate passing down. And if you're going to match, and I don't know how you don't match, And base defense to that, like you're going to find some matchup there that you really like, you know, Logan Thomas on a linebacker, Curtis Hodges on a safety, Cole Turner on a safety, Antonio Gibson on a safety, like, Holy cow. Like that is a, that's a dynamic way to kind of influence defense, dictate to defense and get some really um, kind of unique playmakers on the field. So uh, I totally agree. It's just, to me, it's, it speaks to again, what EB has been doing, which is what do my playmakers do well? And how do I maximize that? And I think that it's, it's not tricky. It's just like, when you watch Kyle, when you watch Andy Reid, when you watch green Bay, like that's what they're doing every single time they're on the field. And so I think, um, that's something that I'm, uh, again, why I'm excited for Gibson, why I'm excited for the tight end room, because they they are kind of this, this group of unusual playmakers.
1: All right. Look, I I'm, I'm a professional podcast host. I can take a hint. You mentioned tight ends. I've waited long enough. Let's talk about them. Let's talk about the tight end. um,
2: the the floor is yours whatever wherever you want to go with the tight ends what do you got I mean for me it's I don't want to say it's been the most impressive group but it's been close and I think specifically of that group Logan Thomas has been outstanding he's been so consistent in terms of using his frame against smaller defenders to make plays and uh, you know he's not the most sudden guy in the whole world but he's a big man with a good feel and he seems to have a good rapport with um with Curtis with uh with uh, Sam Howell so when I look at him I'm really excited for what he's done. Uh obviously Cole Turner has consist has kind of picked up where he left off. I think he slowed the last couple of practices. He had a seam the other day versus Tampa two, which was would have been a very t- tough catch. Sam layered the ball in real nice, but he dropped it. I think that's one that Cole would want back. But uh, you know, in terms of sudden underneath, winning on crossing routes, running on kind of snag routes, Cole's been great. In that. And then Curtis Hodges, man, he just shows up and you see kind of a growth in his athleticism. I think, you know, being with Chad Engelhardt and that straight staff for a year, like he had a ball yesterday that he caught underneath and kind of opened up his stride. And when you're looking at stride lengths and kind of if it's one stride for every five yards... Um or half stride, so it's two steps for every five yards They run about a four-four, and he was well within that parameter. So obviously a guy who's who's taken kind of this red shirt year seriously seems to be better. There's some inconsistency there, which makes me worried about him being a big part of the offense. But in terms of athletic potential, that's pretty exciting. So it's a group again, ton of playmakers and baits. Bates you know is not the the fleetest of foot but has made some really nice catches uh, kind of on some big body stuff in the red zone. So if I'm EB I'm like man I'm I'm rubbing my hands together cuz that to me has been the most consistent group in terms of catching the ball day in and day out and I want to maximize those weapons the same way the same way I want to maximize the weapons of of the running back room also so.
1: Um we've had some debate on the sideline watching about like where Logan Thomas is uh, with fluidity, with running routes, his agility—just kind of, you know, how is he doing? A, you know, over a year and a half or so after the, the the knee situation, because he is still the only one that is kind of a proven receiving threat. Everybody else, yeah. we'll, we'll see. So, where are you at with Logan Thomas uh right now in his—I guess I can't say recovery anymore—but where he's
2: just at physically? I'm very high on Logan at the moment. I mean, he's just like literally every day has come out and just made plays catching the football, and they're not. I think probably for the media, they're not the flashiest plays, but him kind of bodying out um, Benjamin St. Juiced on like a swirl route. So a corner that you sit down instead of running high in the corner, like you kind of sit down like a comeback almost, body him out there, bodying out, um, you know, Emmanuel Forbes, uh, running like a little option route. And again, not a lot of separation, but long arms, big frame, like running corner routes and feeling the zone and not running into that cover three guy and catching the ball there. You had one yesterday where he's running an out or two days ago, he's running an out route and, um, and he kind of sits in the zone and Sam's able to deliver the football. Like the, the rapport that he has with Sam, the feel that he has for zones, how he's using his frame. He doesn't need to be this great sudden route runner. He just needs to be big, like kind of, Like Jimmy Graham-esque, you know, Jimmy Graham was not a great route runner, but understood how to use his frame, understood how to maximize his length against smaller defenders. And I think you're seeing shades of that now. And I think you're seeing a better feel than Jimmy Graham had for for zones. I think it's it's a Travis Kelsey-esque Kind of feel for the zones and how to maximize the routes, which again I think is probably something that EB has brought with him in terms of coaching philosophy. So I'm very high on Logan. I think he's had a like a probably the best off of anybody on the team. So I'm very very high on him, um, and we'll see if he can continue uh, kind of with that level of production. You
1: know, I'm going to let the naysayers in this room know then uh, the, uh, about this uh, about this view, and also fantasy football players take note. He just mentioned. Travis Kelsey and Logan Thomas the same sentence. I, I'm not. I'm not saying he told you to take him in the first round. I'm just
2: saying. No, I'm just saying keep keep your eye on him for sure. Has he again? Because it's and it's because of how his relationship with Sam. Sam trusts him. Sam trusts like he understands. Like and this is something that uh, Juan Castillo said to me two years ago, after they uh, picked up Curtis Hodges and Cole Turner. I was like, man, you guys got a type. He's like, well, with these types of body types, they're always open. And that's so true. And they've got four guys that are literally always open because of their frames. And so, and Logan is catching the football really well away from his frame, able to box people out like a basketball player. So, um, if that relationship continues to blossom and grow and, and Logan continues to progress in this offense, you know, 50, 60, 70 catches is, is definitely on the table for him. So, um, I.
1: They haven't, uh, in terms of adding players to the roster, they haven't really done that yet. They add a couple guys just for depth a couple weeks ago. But if they're going to do anything significant, it's logically going to come before training camp, which is fair. If there's one spot where I wonder, is there a move to be made, I do wonder about, say, the left guard spot. You figure that the other four spots along the line are at least, at the moment, set with Leno at tackle, left tackle, Wiley the other tackle, Nick Gates at center, Sam Cosme at guard. But then you have Sadiq Charles, and Chris Paul, which, look, maybe one of these guys emerges. City Charles has had a lot of talent. It just has not been able to to stay on the field and keep a role. Are you seeing enough out of those guys to make you think, one way or the other, they've got a guard, or is this a spot where you think, you know what, they really maybe should take a longer look at what's available to at minimum get some more competition, if not
2: actually get somebody who can give them more than perhaps what these guys can do? Yeah, I mean, I definitely – so I, I think Sadiq's set up a, a fine OTA period, training camp, mini camp period, whatever. Uh, I think Chris Ball also. The thing that's really hard with with those guys is that they're not doing a lot of stuff. Right. They're you know they're they're doing pass protection. They're passing stuff off, and I think for the most part they've done a good job. There's been a couple mental mistakes here and there during the blitz period, which. Happens every year, especially with young players. You're learning a new protection scheme. That's gonna happen. Um, physically they they do some good stuff. Obviously, Sadiq going up against uh John Allen every single day, you're gonna have some losses. But I think on the whole, you feel pretty positive about it. But I do I, I do agree with you. I think you're kind of gambling on something that has been inconsistent at best, you know. And I think Sadiq has flashed like what was that, two years ago in the COVID year? Um, when Sadiq played against Philly and is and is blowing Fletcher Kotz off the ball, you're like, man, that dude is that dude can do it. He can play, but he's been a little up and down injuries, whatever. Um, And so, yeah. Would you like another kind of more experienced piece there? Sure. But I'm not in the meeting rooms. And that's one thing that I think really helps with that evaluation is where is he at mentally? How's he picking stuff up? Both those young guys. And if they're, and if they're doing a great job, I say, hey, maybe this is the year we give them a shot. And we rely on EB calling a good game, putting these guys in good positions to be successful, not making them kind of pass protect on seven-step drops. That was a big part of the offense last year. Let's cut that out. If you look at the Super Bowl, I think EB understands at a very high level how to insulate, or at least has seen how to insulate via Andy Reid, how to insulate an offensive line. So I would say um, that's a direction I could see the team going Is saying we don't need to add anybody because we've got a play caller now that can maximize this group the way Kyle Shanahan does in San Francisco. Because you look at the grades for that group in San Fran, not great. Uh, but because of the misdirection, the scheme, the run-first approach, the play-action approach, it puts those guys in a good spot. And E.B. does that in a different way, but it's definitely there. So I would say um, that would just be something I'd say keep keep an open mind to that. Like it, it it feels a little weird right now because of the lack of production from those two guys. But I think they're going to really rely on the play caller to to maximize that group, specifically that left guard spot. All right,
1: um, I've waited too long to probably ask you this, or I should have asked it earlier, but you know, I, I'm, I'm making people stay and listen longer. <laughs> the, the notion of a quarterback <laughs> competition. We obviously have talked about this a lot in various ways. Sam Howell's going to open up the offseason program as the, as, as the one, but per sets here and Ron yesterday, other day is like, yeah, I still see a quarterback competition and these kinds of things. Um, I know, it doesn't bother me at all that Sam's getting all the first team reps now. He should. He, he's the young one. He needs yeah. to learn everything, the system, how to be a professional quarterback, all these things. And Jacoby's done all that. But when we get to training camp, that will be to me the test of whether there's an actual competition. It seems like it would be Sam's to lose, and he's gonna have to come bring it back to, to give Jacoby a shot. But all that said, you've now seen them both here and you've you, you know you you hear what people are saying and all this. What's your view of this world? Is there, do you see any world where Sam isn't the starting quarterback week one based on everything that's going that, that you see so far?
2: I mean, yeah, obviously there's an opportunity that doesn't happen. As of right now, I don't think that's going to happen. I think um, outside of the two days, week two, so practices five and six, where I thought Sam took a little bit of a stumble and you know, there's a million reasons why that is. There's a lot of offensive volume in slows guys down. Um, you know, there's team blitz coming in for the first time defenses are getting more familiar with the concepts, but I do think he's rallied nicely this week. And I think when you look at, when you compare Jacoby to Sam, I just think Sam is, is more talented. He's a more talented passer. He's got a liver arm. He's got better mobility. Um, He's got a quick release. I think that to me is maybe one of the most distinguishing factors, especially coming from a quarterback in Carson Wentz who had a very deliberate release. Jacoby has a release in that same kind of realm and time frame. So while I think Jacoby has done a good job, there are times where I'm like he is holding the football way too long for this concept. And that's something that he's done hit throughout his career. And I think he's a very good player. But I think in terms of upside and kind of what's in the mystery box, I think Sam during this time frame, has shown you enough to be like, Hey, like we're going to let this go for a little bit and see where we end up. Cause I, I you know, when I went, I went back and charted like uh, the last two days of practice, he's been doing a really nice job. He's been very consistent, high completion percentage. He does occasionally get a little like tunnel vision and try to force the football down the field, which you don't love, but you know, he's young. So he's going to kind of have to figure that out. I think the, and Jacoby's done a nice job too. It's just the the thing that gets me about Jacoby is when he's holding the football for, for a long time, especially behind this offensive line. I'm not sure that's overly tenable. Um, I do like how Sam's just been super quick getting the ball out, very decisive on rhythm, on time, even in team periods. I know he hasn't hit like all these dramatic plays, but like I mentioned that throw to Cole Turner, I think which, is in se- which, which was in seven on seven, like that's a an elite throw. And he had an elite throw to uh, Cole earlier in um, I think practice four, you know, up the sideline, did a great job. So it's there just about um, kind of being consistent, um, eliminating some of that kind of forcing the ball down the field in certain situations. But I think I've been pretty impressed with him, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty conservative in terms of how I kind of, you know, allocate praise, but he's done a nice job and I'm, I'm excited to see how he continues to grow. And again, mark your calendars for that Baltimore practice, man, because I think he's going to look good. But that to me is like, is where that decision is going to be made.
1: Uh yeah, we can, that, that that can't get here soon enough. All right, so lastly, I, I did this with you with the defense. I want to ask you for a guy that sort of stood out to you. Uh, I'll just give you one here for me. Okay. Maybe the, the one, it's, it's sort of also the position battle, too, and that is the sixth receiver. I'm assuming we know oh. the first four, and I guess I'm going to assume Marcus Kemp is going to make the team. He was with EB and KC, and he's got the size. But that sixth spot, Dax Millen, obviously. I thought Casimir Allen. Would maybe be the prime contender. He's just been hurt the last um, few days. But now Mitchell Tinsley, it seems like every practice I'm watching, he is making plays as a receiver. They're not trying to use him as a punt returner. Uh, yes. I also like Jalen Sample, but he and, and, and the kid from Stanford, Bryson uh, Tremaine. But, you know, I like it's always easy to like the receivers and these things. So Mitchell Tinsley to me is one that I've sort of has moved up for me in terms of possibly making his team if the punt return part stands out. But you tell me, you seem to like this topic.
2: I I love this topic because this is exactly what I was thinking. You know, like the the receiver group in general has been really, really good. Obviously, you got your top four guys there, um, and they've been great. You know, like uh, even uh, Diami has been very consistent in terms of making plays. He's had a couple where you're like, man, that's the old Diami, But I think on the whole, he's been much more consistent. Um, But then like Bryson Tremaine, excellent special teams player, gunner, 6'5", 225 type range, long arms, physical dude. I like what he's done. He's not, again, he's not like this burner down the field, but he reminds me so much of cam Sims and he plays with a little bit more urgency than cam. So I'm like, he's interesting from that standpoint, because he's going to be great on teams. He's kind of can be that kind of rotational guy. I don't know, but I, I agree. Mitchell Tinsley is probably the guy that I would give the the slight nod to at this point, because I think he's a little bit sharper as a receiver. He made that big play on the first, uh, when was that? Uh, the first day of mini camp. So two days ago, and um, he does return kicks. Casimir Allen was a big feature early on, but has been hurt with the hamstring. And then Jalen Sample's been getting a ton of reps with like kind of the, the later half of the one, early two offense, but is a guy that I'm like, how does he play teams? He's got like that elite trait in that he's super fast and he's made some plays. He's made some excellent plays. But I think this group to me is super, super interesting because it's like, they're all good. And it's like, who is going to be that guy that kind of distinguishes himself in training camp in the preseason in that joint practice and says, I'm the guy that's ready for varsity football? Um, because we haven't even mentioned, like Dax Mills has had a great OTA minicamp. Like he's yeah. done a great job. And so um, everyone's being super competitive. And you know I was ready to write kind of Kemp off because he hadn't been overly productive. Then the last three days, he's been great. So everyone's kind of pushing. And I think they all realize like, this is the spot to compete at because you look at the tight end, Like you got those four guys making a team. You look at running back. I mean, it's probably a little bit of a competition, but I think you've probably got your three there that you feel pretty good about. And then offensive line. But again, we haven't had anything to kind of flush that evaluation out at all is like, because, you know, I think the obvious ones are obvious because we talk about them all the time and they're getting all the reps, but I don't know if there's any sleepers there necessarily. So um, to me, this is, this is the group and they deserve it. Like last, like last year we were talking about the upside of the young tight ends I'm excited about the upside of these young receivers. I feel like they really got four guys in here, Bryce Tremaine, Mitchell Tinsley, Casimir Allen, and Jalen Sample, because when Kazmir Allen was healthy, he did a great job. Who could potentially make the squad? So it just depends on, again, who kind of puts that car in gear and, and makes a little separation. Right now, it seems to be Mitchell Tinsley, but there's a lot of time left to go still. So
1: Right, and I will just say on Tinsley, like the UDFA guys were all at long shots, all that stuff he's the one that like could have been drafted like the other guys that weren't I don't think remotely drafted like Tinsley and our guy Dane Brugler's top 300 he had he was the only one that he had inside that range and you know I I, when I asked some people like who was the of the UDFAs who's the one that stands out he he was the only I mean post draft he was the one that people cited I was like that's a good move there so he isn't I mean he's undrafted but he isn't just like complete random he played at penn state last year um did a lot of good things so um interesting to see how that goes and yeah if he can factor in as a returner i think that could be his way to get uh to get in here um all right look to to to, to, to quote howard stern you've said it all uh logan paulson you know look you, we, we, you're already in mid-season form no ot rep ota reps needed for you when it comes to breaking down this team uh go follow go go, go watch his stuff over at the commanders of course You can watch him uh, over on his Instagram account at Logan underscore Paulson 82 The take command podcast. You're all you're you know, you're you're a mogul. You're you're just is this the year that Logan Paulson goes to a
2: next level as a media star? Uh, (laughs) You're being too kind of me, Ben. I appreciate it. Oh, good.
1: Uh, I appreciate it, my guy. Thanks so much.